Let's face it, people have different sleep needs. While you love your partner, sleeping next to them might not always be the most comfortable. Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Maybe you prefer a firmer mattress and your partner needs something softer. Because of the individualized comfort that you get from Sleep Number Smart Beds, you and your partner will sleep better together. All Sleep Number Smart Beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. And their temperature balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. The smart beds even automatically respond and adjust to your movements so you sleep comfortably all night long. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards only at a sleep number store or sleepnumber.com don't touch that dial you're tuned in to the dread podcast network from nice guy productions world headquarters overlooking the glamorous san fernando valley I'm Mick Garrison. This is the fun size edition of Postmortem AMA, where you can ask me anything. And your conduit through which you ask your questions is our estimable producer, Joe Russo. Producer Joe, how are you? I am doing great, Mick. How are you? I'm very well, better than I have any right to be. Well, I hope you had a fun Halloween. And uh, I've got, weirdly, this is going to be a different kind of episode. Okay. Um, uh, we got a question a couple weeks ago, and I've been saving it for this specific instance because you know we had we had a we had a banger of an October. I mean, we had guest after guest after guest, uh, and I hope our fans enjoyed it. Um, but yeah. I saved I saved this question specifically because last week was uh, an anniversary, a milestone anniversary of one of your old projects, twenty yeah. fifth uh, anniversary of Michael Jackson's ghosts. Yes. And uh, one of the questions we got over the course of the last few weeks that I've been saving was, Mick, would you ever have wanted to direct a music video? <laughs> <laughs> and I felt what a great way to open up a conversation where you and I could talk about your experience uh, working on ghosts. Sure. And it's something I've never spoken in detail about because it has such a fractured history and a very complicated history and uh, one that uh, is difficult to unravel in just a couple of minutes. Well, and we're going to unravel it in, in a little more than a couple of minutes. So, uh, no, uh, sounds well, good. so, so let's, so let's go back to the beginning. Um, yeah. And I think that would trace us all the way back to the early 80s, uh, where, where you ah. first, first encountered uh, the, the king of pop, uh, you know, on his, his other music video that your friend John Landis directed, Thriller. Tell, tell us a little bit about that. Okay, well, John and I have been friends since my office was next to his when I was answering store, uh, phones for the original Star Wars in 77, and he was prepping Animal House. We've talked about that. Sure. When he made Thriller, he invited me and my wife, Cynthia, to be zombies in that, which we did. And it was amazing. And watching Michael work was like watching a dynamo exploding every time uh, John called action. Yeah. 
it has nothing whatsoever to do with my involvement with ghosts. Oh no, I know. Yeah. I just wanted to. Yeah. I just wanted to date. I just wanted to get yeah. in that you were in Thriller mostly. But but yeah. but let's talk about that for a minute too. Like I mean, when you were obviously you were in full on zombie makeup, which yeah. I believe yeah. is on display in a museum somewhere, right? It's at Mopop in Seattle. Yeah which is so cool. Uh, and, and if you go back and you watch it, you can definitely see Mick in a very, very clear cameo. But so were you, when you were not in those shots, were you on the sideline watching John direct Michael and work with Michael? Like what, what was your experience? Like, or was it just in and out kind of quick cameo? Well, I only worked one day, but Cynthia worked three days on it. We're in it about the same length of time, but sure, in between shots, when you're being made up for three hours and having makeup taken off for an hour, you're around for the day. And uh, yeah, it was incredible watching, you know, particularly the one long shot that has um, Ola Ray and Michael walking next to each other as he's trying to freak her out and the like, there's this yeah. long dolly. So Michael in between shots is very quiet, very demure. And, and then uh, they start the scene and they get into their positions and the, the AD calls rolling. And then when John calls action, bang, Michael transforms into something entirely different. The most electrifying human being I've ever seen. Yeah. Wow. Wow. No, I mean, that's such a special memory. And, and uh, so, but so obviously years later, <laughs> many years later, uh, ghosts came about. And, but my understanding was kind of in the run up to that, you and Michael had kind of struck up a, a, a bit of a friendship at that point, right? It really happened after we got involved with, with ghosts. Okay. Um, got it. In 1993, when I was making The Stand, uh, Michael came to Stephen King. He wanted to make the world's scariest music video. And so who better than to go to Stephen King? And so Steve King took Michael's idea and wrote a script, uh, a short 10 page script called, Is This Scary? And so that's what we were going to make. And originally it was a song that was going to be used in the end title credits for Adam's Family Values. And during the production of this, well, first of all, there were problems. Stephen King recommended me to Michael. We had a great meeting and Michael said, yes, I would love you to direct this. But the producer of The Stand, Richard Rubenstein, the head of Laurel Entertainment, said, even though we were in post-production and I could easily have handled it during the course of post-production, he said, if you do this, I'm going to sue you. Wow. So um, it was a very uncomfortable situation. Eventually, we worked it out. I don't know how. Maybe because Michael's time is so elastic that it took so long to <laughs> actually get underway. Well, well hang on, hang on. We, we kind of brushed over something. Tell okay. me about sitting down with Michael Jackson at in, in like the early 90s when he was at the, the heights and, and pitching yourself to direct him in a music video. I wasn't pitching myself, you know, he well, you've had, already been pitched. I guess it was to, to yeah. I guess. All right. Pitching to, to make it official. Yeah. Yes, to, yeah. To see if we got along and, you know, he had a suite at the Beverly Hills hotel and I met him there. Uh, and I met him there later on another project when he wanted to remake the classic 1947 noir, the window that mm. uh, he wanted me to direct, write and direct. Um, but 
that's getting ahead of ourselves again. Sure, sure. In this case, he's this very gentle guy. And you think that he's very serious all the time. And you don't understand when you're first meeting him. Hi, Mick, Stephen King says such wonderful things about you. You know, that... <laughs> yeah. And then, but I'd seen him when the cameras are on and he explodes. And of course, I'd seen interviews where he's on and really Michael Jackson, the entertainer. But then, as we got to know each other, we revealed our senses of humor because I'm kind of like that myself. I have a, a pretty strong sense of humor, but it's held in reserve until both parties are comfortable with it being unleashed. Well, he's sure. the same way. You know, there would be things, uh, you know, I would get phone calls at midnight. Um, uh, Mick Garris, please. Uh, this is Mick. Hi, gotcha. You know, and things like that. <laughs> Very funny stuff like that. But, you know, we wanted to do this uh, and we were planning on doing it. And it was going to be financed by, I guess it was Sony was uh, did Adam's Family Values. Par Par Paramount. Was, yeah, that's right. It's Paramount. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, his contract was with Sony. Um, but yeah, it was Paramount and Scott Rudin was a producer on it. And wow. so, you know, wow. everybody, it, it was a big deal. And I'd worked with Scott when, when I wrote The Fly too. Right. But um, so it was going to have like a $7 million budget, which was the biggest budget for a music video in history. And wow. it was going to be a, a single and it was going to be the end titles of Adam's Family Values. So we started making it. And when you work on Michael time, well, uh, I'll let you ask your questions to get into it, but just uh, overriding when you work on Michael time, it's not like the clock on the wall. It's very much like Salvador Dali painted that. Clock. Right. Right. Yeah. No, you've told me very much that, that the world revolves around him and not the other way. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and, but so, but let's, but let's not in know, a mean spirited way, by the way. No, 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 no. I know yeah. that. No, I mean, he, he moves at his own, he moved at his own pace. Right. Uh, the, I, the, so, so one thing that, you know, I mean, you look at thriller and you look at like one of my childhood favorites, Captain EO, yeah. uh, <laughs> those music videos had such scope and such, I mean, like really feature film quality, uh, you know, cinema uh, experience. Um, so like, when how long was the prep period for this because i mean like obviously king wrote a 10-page story and the final product is is 30 minutes long um right well how, what like we how, were going to do what we were going to do with this 10-page script king was done you know he'd done the work and michael still wanted some work being done so i did uh, the rewrites that came along afterwards got it but it was going to be a 15-minute video right and right. Uh, that was going to be $7 million. Then um, it just became more and more complex. And Michael started to put his own money into it because he wanted it to be bigger and better and better than oh, wow. anything ever made before. Sure. So it just tended to grow and grow. Um, and we had done like a month of pre-production. I brought in my production designer from Psycho 4, Michael Hannon, and they built the haunted house. And Michael met these dancers doing something that was new at that time called popping that he wanted to feature in all the musical numbers. So, you know, he brought in his usual choreographer and choreographer choreographed it with him. They were partners in that choreography. So we were doing 
rehearsals at CBS Studios, which is walking distance from my house. So I was able to to be there in, in, in the easiest gig ever in that regard. <laughs> Most difficult in other regards. Sure. Um, so we're rehearsing all these moves and everything that's going on and we're writing and rewriting the script and figuring out who these characters are. And I'm hiring some of the cast who were in the stand, for example, um, and putting together this music video with a point of view about being an outsider and being treated like an alien yeah. when, when all you mean to be is a, a, an ambassador of goodwill. Mm -hmm. But because you're different, you look different, you act different, you're the outsider. And it was a very important theme to Michael. Yeah. So uh, that prep took place there, but we built the sets at, at a hangar out by Van Nuys Airport, where uh, a lot of people, including uh, shows like Freddy's Nightmares, worked and, and that sort of thing. So that was the pre-production thing. And Michael and I met regularly but mostly talked on the phone and then i would send him uh rewrite pages and we'd get together and go over them and and he'd meet all the people involved and the keys and all that and everybody was really thrilled some of the people had worked with him before some had worked with me before there wasn't much overlap um but it was really really great so because this whole process took so long to to develop and prep and rehearse it got you out of that sticky situation with that producer on the stand because just just from michael time basically yes <laughs> yeah that basically uh solved the problem and you know because i did five months of post-production on the stand all right. in all in new york so i was uh, living away from you were home. gone yeah yeah, yeah for now, a but, year but now was now i do remember at some point in in, in your paths with michael you actually met with him in New York. Were some of those meetings in, in New York or? Uh, yeah, one, uh, mostly the meetings in New York were afterward, but uh, when okay. oh, we'll get into in that the then. middle, yeah, 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 there's a yeah. middle period that you know so, about. Right, right. So, okay. So, so you get, so you, all this rehearsal, all this, I mean, it must've been amazing to be able to watch all these dancers and kind of think about and dream up all these different shots and stuff. I can't even. Oh yeah. That. All of the yeah. blocking and all those things working with the choreographer. And I'd never done a musical number in my life other than yeah. the opening of sleepwalkers with a girl in a vacuum cleaner, which by the way is a classic scene. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, and, and then later in bag of bones, I did something that was very much a 1920s uh, musical number. Number. Right. But um, this was brand new to me. And, and, you know, one of the best blocked and shot musical numbers ever in a music video is yeah. Thriller. Is yeah. in Thriller. And John Landis knows how to shoot dance. He sure does. And, you know, head to toe. And, yep. and, and really, I learned a lot from that, as well as watching old classic musicals, of which I am generally not a fan. Yeah, I mean, John, I remember John saying one time when we did a postmortem, I think it was off mic, and he said something to the point of, I think he was complaining about maybe like a Beyonce music video that had just come out. And he was saying that it was, the action was too close and too tight. And it's like, if they can dance, you should show them dancing because they can do exactly. these things. Don't don't let the editing cover for them if they can do it, you know? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So there are a lot of really wide shots and we were in this giant haunted mansion yeah. ballroom so that there was nothing but room for fantastic uh, dance numbers. So, okay, so you started shooting. We started shooting. 
And then what happened? We shot for two weeks and never got to the musical number because the way Michael works. I mean, it just, uh, there were times. The, the, the kind of the, the rioters, the angry mob. Yeah. Everything outside the, outside the mansion and a lot of the preparing for the dance and a lot of the special effects that Stan Winston and digital domain did. Um, I shot those. In fact, if you go to YouTube and look up, is this scary, Michael Jackson, you'll actually see a cut of what I did before it became ghosts. Oh, wow. That's cool. It's it's out there. We'll have to put a a link up for everybody to see. Yeah. Um, um, But no, that's great. Uh, I actually didn't know that. I wish I hadn't seen that beforehand. Uh, (laughs) If only I had access to the person I was interviewing who could have told me that. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm I'm a tough guy um, to reach. (laughs) uh, Well, okay. But but so for those of us who haven't seen that alternate cut, so it's mostly the, the lead up to the dancing and then what happened michael just just like did he just stop coming to set did he call and say i want to put a pause in this like how did how did this go on hiatus Uh, well (laughs) that's the story i mean we were shooting for two weeks and we were getting lots of stuff and they're rehearsing the dancing and all and you know his he'd have there were bodyguards outside of his trailer keeping people from going there so michael would there would be times he didn't even know he was needed and he'd be playing video games or something in his trailer. And until I would finally go to the bodyguards and say, look, I really need to talk to Michael and walk past them and knock on his door. And he go, Oh, I didn't realize you needed me. And then, (laughs) you know, everything kind of revolves around his world. Yeah. However, what caused everything to happen was the first scandal broke out. Now, Right. I don't know what happened. The only people who do are the people who were involved. Nothing in my experience with Michael would indicate that he was involved in anything illicit or, or illegal or immoral in that regard. However, I don't know. And the victims uh, who were featured in that Finding Neverland documentary are very convincing to me. Yes. Yeah. So you know, obviously, if he was guilty of that, it's absolutely unforgivable. And if he was not guilty of that, it's unforgivable from the other side. Sure. Um, but, but that's what happened. It shut down. And so we were dead for like three years. And I was moving on, I figured it was done. Michael was considered radioactive. Right. And Michael would would you know, still, I believed in Michael and, and felt that, you know, guilty until proven, uh, innocent until proven guilty. Right. Um, and again, I, I knew his kids who were little at the time, they seemed incredibly sweet and smart and loving. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it seemed like a really great household relationship, despite being the king of pop and the biggest star in the world. But now, I but would... during, so, but during that period of time, though, you guys continued to talk. So I remember at one point he even like wanted you to kind of be like a, almost an acting coach to him in a way. Uh, well, he, he, that's something that happened after it was to be to help. He wanted me to teach him to direct. He wanted to take directing classes. Directing from class. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I'm thinking you've worked with Steven Spielberg and Martin Scorsese and all these great people, but maybe I'm just easier to get. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so yeah, the plans were to continue carrying on. We actually had the set of the haunted house shipped to Japan to shoot it in Japan. Wow. And my line producer from the stand, Peter McIntosh, I brought in to line produce on uh, Is This Scary? And he actually went to Japan with the sets and it never happened there. Wow. You know, Michael, Michael was staying out of the country because of, uh, you know, if you're the biggest star in the world and, and you are on, on, under legal investigations um, that puts an end to everything, you know, and you become the headline news every day of every week. Sure. So he was out of the country. We, th I thought I might even go to Japan to direct this. I, I figured I was going to, because of that, that shut down wow. many different plans were made and the best laid plans of mice men and michael um <laughs> go <laughs> the way we don't expect sure. so literally for three years i would get calls from michael saying you know you gotta believe it's gonna happen it's gonna be the best thing ever and uh, <laughs> and you know i was planning on doing it and yeah. uh, you know convinced that uh, the Michael I knew was not capable of engaging in these acts that were salaciously spread. Right. Um, and again, I don't know. I I'm a little less certain about that innocence now than I was at that time. So sure, and well, and you were and you were talking to him, and obviously hearing his point of view, and 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 obviously there was very limited knowledge as to the other side, which has since come out. You know, so I, I could totally understand how you would have that point of view at that time. You know? Right. Um, so uh, for three years, he kept contacting me saying, it's going to go, it's going to go. And I, I basically said, okay, Michael, let me know when. Uh, and then I was prepping The Shining. And that was going to happen. And we had a very hard date. And he said, okay, Mick, we're going to start here. Huh. And it was during that time. And I said, Michael, I'm doing The Shining. I can't do that. But what about Stan Winston? Stan is a terrific director. He did Pumpkinhead. Yeah. He does, he's doing your special effects on Is This Scary? Okay, and that's, so that's why I was going to say, why, why have everyone that you know in your black book, why Stan Winston? But it was because he was already familiar with the project. He was already, already that. And he was one of Michael's best friends. Oh, well, there you go. So uh, he'd known him for years and they'd been friends and, you know, uh, really great personalities. They both had big senses of humor and practical jokers and that sort of thing. Uh, but Stan was working with me on that. And Stan originally didn't want to do it. And by now, of course, Adam's family values had long come out without that song. Michael, Michael was sure. radio, radioactive yeah. um, and nobody wanted to work with him. And Sony or Paramount was no longer paying for that video. Right. So during the course of this, um, they did resume shooting with Stan. They changed a lot of the concept. Uh, they turned it into Michael playing several characters in the opening sequence which was not the same when when I was on. And so a lot of things changed, but it took three years. And by the time they ended up doing it, they added a lot of material to it. 
And to me, at 35 minutes, it's it's rather uh, too long. And it is the kitchen sink. But you had somebody who was uh, partnered with James Cameron on Digital Domain doing all these visual effects and all these makeup effects he was so yeah. famous for doing that no wonder it became a showreel for what they were capable of doing and, and yeah. quite a spectacular. And ultimately ended up costing out of Michael's pocket, $15 million. Unbelievable. Wow. Wow. Well, it was finished long before it ever came out here. And the first time I ever saw it, I was on a trip to Bali and on a 24 hour layover in Hong Kong. And I went into a music shop and I saw a VCD of Michael Jackson's Ghosts, and I'd never seen the finished film. And VCD was before there were DVDs. There were <laughs> video discs you could only play in your computer. Wow, yeah. And, and that was the first time I saw it, and I still have that VCD. But wow. it was over a year before MTV premiered it on Halloween, but it had been done and out in Europe and other parts of the world, in Asia, um, in other formats before MTV premiered it in the U.S. for Halloween. And that was mostly because he was still going through his legal battles, I assume. Yeah, all of that. And, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, it, it was it was sort of a comeback, but nobody it, nobody paid attention to it the way they did Thriller. It did not connect because it was so sprawling. It wasn't attached to a particular song being released to the radio at the time. And so it was it kind of fell between the cracks, the most expensive music video in history and my only music video as a director. <laughs> <laughs> Well, so, but, but uh, your relationship with Michael was, was an interesting one. I mean, you know, he, he went to you for directing advice, uh, you know, and, and you and Cynthia went to Neverland at one point too, I believe, right? Yeah. Yeah. I'd been to Neverland a, a few times. Yeah. And, you know, once when we were working on uh, trying to figure out how to do the window as a feature, right. which we had a really great concept to do that. And I actually spent the night in a guest house at, at Neverland and was able to experience all that that had to offer. But yeah, Michael did not have close friends. He had people who worked for him. He, I don't think there were many trustworthy people around and I didn't want anything from Michael. And I think he appreciated that. You know, I didn't want to attach myself to him uh, and try and attain some sort of success or financial benefit or anything by being his friend but well, I that, had a that's probably why he kept coming back to you uh, to yeah i had a passion for movies that we shared and um you know he he brought me out to orlando once where he was staying in the penthouse to and and we went on the rides at disney world going wow. through the back door and wow. the special vip entrance while he's wearing a mask the kind of masks that we all wear every day now now yeah <laughs> yeah yeah nobody's going to recommend you uh, recognize you under that right michael but, <laughs> But it, it was quite an experience. And, you know, uh, I, I'm saddened by the revelations that have come out uh, after his death and, and the fact of his death. You know, when I knew him, he was not drinking or doing recreational drugs that I know of. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm somebody who does not indulge in that stuff myself and never have. And to see 
all the the tortuous things that he went through in his life yeah. and and the things that he may have involved been involved in that were unsavory it, it breaks my heart because the good side of michael is this explosive funny smart street smart because he was never educated in school because he was a star from the time he was five years old yeah. um somebody who was incredibly generous and giving and 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 uh you know that's the side of michael i prefer to remember do you think in retrospect you know having having just rewatched it in preparation for this interview because i hadn't seen it for forever uh you know there there are interesting themes that run parallel to what he went through in the run-up to making the music video and during making the music video there's a lot of um you know there's there's an angry mob coming at him for not understanding who he was and blaming him for things that he may or may not have done do you think there was some kind of him trying to get in a, a little bit of a defense through his art in it uh, in a way in retrospect oh there's no question about it yeah. there's yeah. no question about it he he definitely felt that um, he was unfairly targeted because of who he was and because he was odd and because he didn't fit the uh, social norms. Yeah. And again, you know, if he was responsible for these unsavory doings, they're much worse than unsavory doings. Right. Um, and, and I certainly do not support the Michael Jackson who may have done that. Uh, I only know one side of a guy who was a very complicated guy, and I just don't know. But I also, um, after having watched Finding Neverland, it's hard not to believe the victims. Yeah, yeah. What an incredible, wild journey that must have been. <laughs> it certainly was. <laughs> Definitely not part of my normal day-to-day -day life. <laughs> no, no, I just, I can't even imagine going between these massive Stephen King projects and then you know, the biggest name in the horror world and then and then pivoting to the biggest name in the music world. I mean, really, like what what an what an incredible couple of years, you know, 1993 through 1998 were like, I mean, just just, you know, there's I'm a lot of whiplash going on. There. <laughs> I, I believe it. I believe it. <laughs> well, uh, congrats on it making 20, 25 years of, of Michael Jackson's ghosts, other milestone project. And thank and, you, Joe. Uh, you know, like you said, the most expensive music video of all time. So that's that's another, you know, interesting feather in the cap in a very, very long and illustrious career. So uh, congrats. <laughs> thank you, Joe. And thank you, everybody. Send your questions. So we get into more of these discussions. Yes. And Joe, let our audience know how to make contact. Uh, next time we will do a regular AMA, I promise. Uh, so you can send us your questions to at Mick Garris PM on Instagram and Twitter, or you can send them to me at Joe Russo tweets or Joe Russo Graham, respectively. Yeah, one of these days you got to change that to the other Joe Russo. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I quite enjoy the, uh, you know, the fun, the fun I control people with still. So <laughs> <laughs> great. All right. Thanks, Joe. Thanks, everybody. Thank you for listening to Postmortem with Mick Garris. Download new episodes every Wednesday and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast app. Thank you for listening to the Dread Podcast Network. 
calling all coffee drinkers. If you've been trying to enhance your daily coffee routine, then Quest has got your back with their brand new iced coffees. Now available in two delightfully delicious flavors that'll be sure to add an extra pep in your step. Vanilla latte and mocha latte. Quest has been on a mission to help fuel you with protein-forward foods you'll love. Each bottle of Quest iced coffee is packed with 200 milligrams of caffeine, the same amount as two cups of regular coffee, plus 10 grams of protein per serving to help you supercharge your day. And did I mention that they only contain one gram of sugar? It might just be time to cheat on your iced coffee with iced coffee. Find Quest iced coffees on Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition. That's Amazon.com slash Quest Nutrition.